Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh, and tonight we're going to take a trek to Moab, Utah. Before we go, I wanted to remind you that if you love Planet Sleep, to make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and following us on Spotify. It really does help us out. Let's take a moment to relax ourselves for this most beautiful journey ahead. Find somewhere to sit or lie down and close your eyes and take some deep breaths. I'll wait. Now that we're relaxed and ready to go, Moab, Utah, here we come. With hot summers and chilly winters, the lands of Moab, Utah, adapt to the changing weather. From the hot summer heat carried by winds across the arid desert, or a chill breeze beneath a gray sky met with snow-capped mountains off in the distance, Moab can see temperatures up to 114 degrees and down to a bone-chilling negative 24 degrees. But no matter the temperature in this semi-arid landscape, water is often hard to come by, and its biggest challenge for the plants and wildlife is that rain only falls about 55 days out of the year. As you cross a small desert plain, you take a moment to breathe in your surroundings. The stillness of the open desert carries you to a feeling of peace and tranquility. There's something about the environment of a place so relaxed and decongested that frees you from the clutter of your day-to-day life. In any direction you can see for miles, light green vegetation covers a red soil beneath a baby blue sky. In the distance, oddly shaped crests of orange rock stand. And you wonder how this area was once shaped by the hands of Mother Nature, or how the plants and animals thrive with such little water under such extreme temperatures. Its secret lies in the hidden places, unsuspecting potholes pooling with ancient rainwater. These places that look like nothing more than a simple design of survival are actually the havens of wildlife throughout the entire region. The nooks and crannies of the desert carry secrets hidden from the naked eye. As you walk across a sandy trail surrounded by vegetation, you notice a few shallow pools of water before you, the only water you've seen for miles but you make sure not to disturb the pools. These potholes appear uninteresting and unimportant to the untrained eye, but they actually support an entire ecosystem throughout the desert. Inside these small pools swim tadpole shrimp and other tiny organisms. The shrimp only live for about two weeks as they swim around their small water world and feed, but to keep their dynasty going, they lay their eggs at the bottom of the pools, hidden in the wet sand. If the holes ever dry up, which they often do in the desert, the eggs have a natural instinct to wait until rain falls once again before emerging into the world. Microscopic creatures share these pools of rainwater, and they've adapted to survive the weeks or months where no water can be found. As the water evaporates from the pools, the organisms also push the water out of their bodies and shrink down into a small husk. Some can even remain like this for decades at a time waiting for a rare cloud to bless them with a bit of rain. As you carefully walk past the pool of water, you notice a black ring in its bowl. This means that it usually fills up with water when it rains. So even if a hole is completely dry, if you see a black stain in the hole, it means it's most likely a safe haven for these organisms. 
but you're probably wondering why these pools are so important to the rest of the desert. And as you look out at the light green vegetation, the knee-high bushes that bring color to all of the desert surroundings, you understand that these tiny, almost invisible creatures give life and protection to the vegetation of the desert. They live within the soil's crust, which stabilizes the surface and allows plants to survive without the constant risk of the land eroding away. And as the plants of the desert survive, so does the wildlife, since many of them eat the plants. So without these tiny organisms, the ecosystem of Moab would fall apart. The circle of life begins within these small pools in the surrounding soil, and these complex ecosystems take over a hundred years to successfully develop. So as you stay close to the designated trail, keep in mind that one footstep off of the trail can destroy 100 years of work. So you place your feet carefully along the dusty pathway and make your way towards the orange rock formations beyond. This area of Moab sits proudly on the Colorado Plateau and its geological origins date back millions of years. Most of the plateau is made up of flat-lying sedimentary rock where erosion continues to sculpt the layers into the beautiful buttes and mesas and canyons you can see today. For hundreds of millions of years, sediment had found its place in the ancient seas, rivers, and swamps covering the area. And about 10 million years ago, the entire region began to rise with sediment. Some places even reached more than 10,000 feet above the sea level, all the while its rock layers mainly stayed in place beneath the sediment. Over time, what little water came through the area slowly cut away at the sediment layers. And as you look around you, you see the result of its erosion. Like the artist's chisel carving a beautiful piece of marble, you see how refined the formations stand around you. And although rain only sweeps across the place every so often, over millions of years, it is carved away, revealing the intricate landscape of Moab. In the distance, you hear the roar of an engine as an off-road vehicle kicks up sand and dust into the air. You see the small wake of its path far off on the tender slope of the base of a desert hill. A breeze gently scatters a swirl of sand back down to the ground, and the vehicle cuts through the sand in jagged formations, and its noise fills the emptiness of the desert. Moab is no stranger to off-road vehicles. Its open land and endless trails can motivate anyone with an interest in motor vehicles. The free-range cattle watch as noisy machines pass by. They chew their cud, completely unimpressed by the four-wheelers tearing through the countryside. Down in the valleys of green vegetation, they roam the open ranges, minding their own business. They scatter across the range like dark dots across the green valley, and they stay within sight of each other. The range is calm and protected, but at any sign of danger... One can alert the herd, and as the engine roar fades in the distance, the cattle's gentle mooing fills the valley. Far above the range, the cattle aren't alone. Squinting eyes watch them from afar, near the crest of a shallow mountain. You see the outline of curling horns poking out above the ridge. It's the head of a desert bighorn sheep. Throughout the year, they wander near canyons and deserts and they love the steep elevation of dangerous cliffs. You watch as he carefully places each hoof 
one in front of the other until he's nestled into the side of the rock face. He's big, but blends in with the background. If you hadn't seen the silhouette of his horns, you might not have noticed him at all. Yet they're large animals, especially for the desert. These animals can weigh up to 250 pounds, making them one of the largest mammals in the area. Despite their weight, they're professionals at balancing themselves in tricky areas along the rock face. The males, also known as rams, have large curved horns that curl back around their ears and up towards their cheeks. By the time the rams are 7 or 8 years old, they've already developed 30-inch horns. Typically, their horn size symbolizes their rank among the herd, and they'll often use their horns to fight each other. The winner becomes the dominant ram in the herd, and these massive horns give them an extra few pounds over the females who have shorter, slightly curved horns. Not far behind the ram, you see a female join him on his journey along the rock base. Carefully making their way, one hoof follows the other. A quiet clopping sound bounces from the rocks and across the valley, and not far a herd of eight or more sticks together in the semi-arid region of Moab and its surroundings. Sometimes they can be found in herds of over a hundred, but they're most often found in herds of around ten. They're highly adaptive to the desert, and they can go long periods without drinking water, which gives them the perfect advantage of living in an area with little rainfall. They get their water from the grass they eat most of the time, and since they're not worried about dying of thirst, they're more concerned about nearby predators, so they zigzag along the rock faces where not many other animals can go. And if a predator ever finds them there, they can scramble along the rock face at nearly 15 miles per hour and 30 miles per hour on flat land. Most predators wouldn't bother climbing the steep mountainside for a chance at food, They are clumsy and not meant for such difficult terrain. The sheep's cloven hooves give them a nice advantage along the altered terrain of Moab, and their bodies were built for survival where most others would struggle. Although they were once at risk of extinction, they're currently making a comeback in North America. Disease from foreign sheep and cattle has drastically affected the bighorn sheep, and their numbers are only 10% of what they used to be. Early white settlers who moved into the area had brought foreign cattle to graze the lands, and the immune systems of the native bighorns weren't adjusted to the same diseases, so many of them died. Also, the recent significant loss of water in some of their habitats has also put them at risk, but thankfully, conservation efforts have helped track and manage the survival of the bighorn. They had once been the image of death. Their bare white skulls attached to their twisted horns are the iconic image of an old barren western desert, but the bighorn sheep of Moab are here to stay. Those that brought the foreign cattle that affected the native sheep have a history dating back to the 1800s, when Moab was one of the first areas where travelers could cross the Colorado River along the old Spanish trail. This old trade route connected New Mexico to California, spreading business across the country. And like many newly settled areas in the U.S., Moab's history is filled with violence between the Native Americans and early white settlers. The natives have lived in the region long before and used the area to cross the Colorado River, but the white settlers kept moving in from the east looking for new business and living opportunities. Mormon missionaries flocked to the area in the mid-1800s, but many ran into violent conflicts with the Native Americans, but their persistence wouldn't go unnoticed. By 1902, the town of Moab was officially established. It was meant to be a hub before people crossed the river, and the Mormon settlers were excited to convert the people passing through but the crossing was soon forgotten 
Western railroads began construction, and their paths completely dodged Moab, leaving it to be another small town in the desert with big dreams. And as modern bridges made new pathways across the Colorado River, the need for Moab's old river crossing faded away. But as the dream faded, another one grew in its place. As Moab went through years of agriculture and uranium mining, it never became the big city that the early settlers dreamt of. Instead, its population only grew to around 5,000. But this might be the exact reason why people love it today. As you look around the rugged landscapes of red rock and desert foliage between dirt patches, you notice you are alone. As far ahead and as far behind, the trail you walk along is empty, and it's this emptiness that you've been searching for. As you look around the rugged landscapes of red rock and desert foliage between dirt patches, you notice you are alone. As far ahead and as far behind, the trail you walk along is empty, and it's this emptiness you've been searching for. All you can hear now is the gentle breeze against the brush. So you take a moment to be alone in such a massive region. Not many places offer this kind of peace and tranquility. This solitude gives a mystical element to your surroundings, and you imagine what the world must have been like thousands of years ago when most of the world was this open and undisturbed. As you continue along your trail, you realize how high up along the ridge you've gotten. You head up to where the trail takes a hard curve along a ridge, and within a few more steps, the site beneath the ridge ahead comes into view. At this edge, you finally made it to the Colorado River. Its wide stretch of green water is nearly 300 feet across at its widest point, and on the opposite side, another massive ridge rises from the shore. The river has carved its way through sediment for centuries, and the more it flows, the deeper it sinks into the earth. Down in the river, you see ripples bending the river behind a few swimmers and kayakers scattered along the riverbed. They move along with the current, slow and steady. The entire river stretches 1,450 miles and travels through seven U.S. states and two Mexico states, and it has become a vital water source for nearly 40 million people. Over 50 million years ago, the first traces of a river began to form as the Rocky Mountains raised up towards the sky. Water naturally found its way down the mountainsides until a massive river system was formed. But as volcanic activity constantly formed new land, the river's direction changed. Lava dams formed thousands of feet high, blocking water paths and creating new ones, until eventually, the river backed up nearly 500 miles in the desert, reaching the region of present-day Moab. Life began settling near the river, and lush green plants grew along the river's edge. Early on, Native American tribes became the first known people to live along the river for more than 6,000 years. The river's rich water eventually gave rise to agriculture, and many thrived from the river's source of water. The water grew plants, and the plants attracted animals. And although rainfall is rare, the Colorado River is a constant source of water in the region. As you continue your way along the river's edge, you head down where you follow a steep rock face that stretches as far as you can see. Along these steep ridges, traces of ancient civilizations can be seen along the red rock faces around Moab. Most of what's left are the petroglyphs, and pictographs of Native American tribes. Petroglyphs are ancient works of art that have been painted on rock walls, while pictographs have been chiseled into the stone. Many of them tell stories, draw maps, and indicate unique places where ceremonies might have taken place thousands of years ago. At first glance, they might seem like crude drawings, but the closer you look, the more you want to decipher their mysterious meanings. 
Some are easier to see than others, where bright chiseled areas are contrasted with blackened stone, and although some of the paintings have faded, many still stand out in black paint along the bright red walls. You notice a few groupings of oddly shaped sheep in motion as you look at them. Perhaps a herd was once nearby. Others show chiseled swirls where maybe a great storm had once passed through. One shows a man dressed in animal hide. He might have once been a shaman or a great leader. Whatever meaning each piece of artwork had, they were important enough for the ancient people to mark them on the sides of rocks where they have remained for thousands of years. And here you stand, centuries after their making, along the same footpaths the ancient tribesmen traveled all of those years ago. As you continue along the path, you curve back towards the river. You get close enough to hear the water rushing along the riverbank. The stream looks cool and refreshing, so you find a pathway down alongside the bank. As your feet meet the river's edge, you bend down and gather a handful of water. You feel the stream work through your fingertips before splashing a few droplets on your face. The region is hot and dry, and you remind yourself to drink a swig of water from your bottle. You look down the river where you notice dense trees and shrubs forming near the edges, and the cliffs fade into the distance. As you follow the river, the more narrow its path becomes. It curves gently, carrying the slow-moving water past vegetation, crowding the riverbanks, desperate for water. The greenest, tallest, and healthiest foliage meets here at the river, each root towards the river, trying to get all the moisture it can. You get to a point where all the kayakers and swimmers have disappeared, and again, you are alone in nature, but not entirely. As you look through the trees and brush, you see a small dark figure in the water, where two bright yellow teeth stand out against the rest. It carries a small stick in its mouth as it swims across the current. It reaches a dense mound of sticks and mud, proudly standing against the stream. Although it only looks like a heap of river debris, this mound is the beaver's home. He uses this big nest to sleep and occasionally escapes predators, like coyotes, wolves, and mountain lions. They try to spend most of their time in the water since this is where they're safest. Their hut also protects the water from freezing in the colder winter months so they can stay warm. As he approaches the mound, he climbs through a series of sticks and drops the one hanging from his mouth, adding one more to the pile. It's a slow process building the shelter, but one by one, it gets a little bigger every single day. Sometimes a gust of water destroys a bit of the shelter, but the beaver isn't worried. He spends much of his time rummaging for more building materials, all the while the river keeps moving, gently running along the mud, rocks, and sticks. Here in the upper basin of the Colorado River, the North American beaver thrives along the banks. They're most famous for their extensive dam building, where they create long walls that stretch across the river. But here the river is far too wide in most parts, so they settle for building smaller lodges in the shallow areas of the river. But some beavers enjoy the challenge. The beavers that do build dams along massive rivers can create nearly endless structures. The largest beaver dam ever recorded is 2,790 feet in length, more than half a mile. That's more than twice the length of the Hoover Dam, and it was discovered in Wood Buffalo National Park in Alberta, Canada by satellite images in 2007. But this beaver here in front of you isn't trying to break any records. He swims away from the lodge and approaches the riverbank. Safely, he emerges from the water and waddles up along the shore. He's much bigger than you imagined, around 40 pounds, but some can grow upwards of 70 pounds. After seeing its massive size, it's no wonder these are considered North America's largest rodents. But as you look at him, 
The term rodent seems to get a bad reputation. When many think of rodents, they think of grimy thieves rummaging through their trash cans or sneaking into their homes to leave little black droppings all over the carpet. But the beaver seems like a stand-up guy, just minding his own business. They are known for their buck teeth used for gnawing away at strips of bark to build their homes. And they're also easily identified by their iconic paddle-shaped tail that helps them swim. They also have webbed hind feet since they're semi-aquatic animals. Their bodies have adapted to live in and out of the water. Even though you think living in water most of the time would get cold and uncomfortable, the beaver has a thick layer of fat beneath its skin to keep it warm. And they also wear a double coat of fur made of rough outer hairs and thin inner hairs. And on top of that, they also create an oily substance to waterproof its fur coat, giving them all they need to live in the water without fear of getting cold or miserable. But in a strange twist of fate, their survival adaptations led to their close encounter with extinction. Early American settlers wanted their lush fur coats, and they were made into hats that became a fashion statement in the 1800s. Their fur was unlike any other, and their hide was loved for its strength and flexibility. They became so popular at one point that the beavers were nearly driven to extinction in North America. But luckily, the beaver hats went out of style by the end of the 1800s, and one of America's most beloved rodents survived by a simple change in fashion trends. Nowadays, their attackers are mainly the natural predators of the land. To be safe, they are most active at night, and if danger lurks nearby, they use their paddle-shaped tails to slap the water, alerting their friends and families of potential dangers nearby. They can also submerge themselves in water for up to 15 minutes if they need to flee by diving down into the river depths. But for now, the biggest threat to the beaver is you. So you quietly make your way down the river, listening to the stream glide along the smooth rocks along the bank. You follow the river until you get just north of Moab, where you diverge from the river. Its path has helped you come this far, but it's time you make your way towards higher elevations in the naturally sculpted stones of Arches National Park. As you head away from the river, the vegetation turns light green, and they can only grow so tall. Almost nothing over six feet tall grows out here. The farther you are from the river, the harder it is for plants to grow. As you head towards Arches, a great ridge stands in front of you. It looks like a natural wall built to protect the majestic sculptures hiding inside the park, but nothing holds you back. You make your way towards the park entrance and journey deeper into the rock formations, along winding roads that maneuver through the clumps of colossal rock walls. The farther you go, the more the land begins to open up, revealing large orange structures reaching into the cloudless sky. Along the road, you pass by intricate shapes and formations. The arches have been chiseled away by the wind and the rain over the centuries. Softer rock gave way while the harder rock remained, and what's left are the arches that bend over the rocks below. Some curve with ease while others bridge a massive gap in between. Some have double arches and have been developed over thousands of years, while others have only formed in recent history. The deeper you travel into arches, you fall soft, sandy trail on foot that leads you between rifts and valleys. Off the beaten trail are pockets of brush and boulders, and you make sure to stay on the path for more reasons than one. Not only to protect the ecosystems that support the plants and animals, but there's no telling what hides in the brush. If you ever sneak off of the path, you might hear the sound of a rattle, finding yourself face to face with a faded rattlesnake hiding against the orange sand. They can grow over two feet long and their bulky bodies carry lean muscle surrounded by speckled skin. 
with yellow, brown, and orange hues, they perfectly camouflage with their surroundings. But luckily, it won't sneak up on you. It wants you to know it's there, ready to lash out at a moment's notice. So it rattles its tail, warning to not come any closer. And those that don't heed its warning are in for a trip to the hospital. A trip most people won't survive since the faded rattlesnake has some of the most toxic venom among rattlesnakes and vipers. One bite could be the end. Knowing this, you happily stay along the pathway, a place of high traffic and high visibility, and most snakes know to stay off of the main way. The path finally leads you to the famous landscape arch. Up the side of a hill, it stretches over rock and vegetation below. This is the longest arch in the entire park, stretching almost 300 feet across. It's also the fifth longest natural arch in the entire world, but its length comes at a cost. As you look at the underside of the formation, you notice the smooth rock looks like it's been chipped away. The arch is skinny and looks like it could fall at any moment. As you look up at the fragile archway, the wind picks up, kicking sand up from the pathway. The breeze is warm and dry. Your lips chap and your thirst grows by the minute. But you remember that this place isn't meant for you. It's not a tropical island full of fruit and water. It's a place for the dry wind and hot sun to settle over the mystical structures of rock and land. And as the rare moments of rain come along, the water shapes the rocks. It's a perfect place for geology to form as the mountains are changed over time by the extremely slow process of erosion. The structures before you aren't the same as they were yesterday, and they won't be the same tomorrow. Although something as solid as stone seems to last forever, all of the structures before you will wither away over time. Mother Nature gives, and Mother Nature takes. You're just lucky enough to live in a time when these formations are precisely the way they are. And although the rain is often a blessing for the surrounding plants and animals, it also brings slow destruction to the beautiful formations surrounding you. At the end of the day, the arches before you are only a snapshot during their inevitable destruction. The reason landscape arch looks skinny and damaged is because only a few decades ago, in 1991, the underside of the arch gave way. Most of the time, the change in rock formation is slow and patient, taking centuries to change over time. But other times, this change can be rapid and dramatic. Around 2.45 p.m., visitors heard popping and cracking noises coming from the arch. The sounds were damp and buried like they were coming from inside the rock. And as onlookers pulled out their cameras and watched, a loud snapping noise filled the area, and a section of the stone came loose. As the rocks fell to the earth and shattered, visitors could feel the ground shake from nearly 300 feet away from the impact site. It's rare to ever see part of a rock formation fall, but some of the visitors got photographs and video footage of the exact moment the rocks came loose. Today, the chunk of the arch that fell is now scattered into the earth beneath it, and the arch carries on knowing that one day, all of it will eventually be scattered into the earth beneath it. You decide to rest on a nearby boulder, nestling your back into a crease that perfectly fits the shape of your body, as if the erosion of this rock at this exact time was meant only for you. And as you look up at the arch, you're reminded that the earth surrounding you is temporary. The foundation will erode and shift into something new. Rock becomes sand, and sand becomes sediment, and sediment becomes rock. This ever-changing cycle of the earth beneath you, from the rolling Colorado River to the grand design of canyons, mesas, and arches, what appears permanent at first, 
is only an illusion, but you're lucky enough to experience its perfection in the process. And as the curved rock beneath you makes you feel weightless, you rest your eyes for only a moment as the sun makes its last appearance above the distant crest along the horizon. As the shadow of the sunset fills the land, the temperature cools down and you hear the whistle of a hawk circling the sky as you fall into a dream. Now that you're asleep and dreaming, I hope you sleep well. And be sure to join us for another episode of Planet Sleep next week. Again, I'm Josh, and I've been your host on this journey to Moab today. I'll see you next time. But until then, sleep easy, my friends. <laughs>